Welch, and I'm here with the Sassholes with Jamie, Kevin, and Pete. Welcome to Sassholes, with a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions. Jamie, Justin, KG, and myself, Pete, are dedicated to helping sales leaders or aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. KGBS stands for bullshit. Please subscribe to us on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Hey, today our guest is Ashley Welch. She's the co-founder of Somersault Innovation. Ashley is curious, endlessly curious, to understand the why behind people and their ideas. But before we get to Ashley Welch, we have some Patreon love to give out to our business supporters. A Lockheed account growth with the Man Farm Smart Software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data driven, predictable, and scalable. Request a demo now at demandfarm.com. Ask for Iron Man. Hey, KG. What? You know uh, Brent Keltner? I've, I've heard of that guy. I think he's written some books. Maybe he's been on our show. I don't know. He's got this master class, Grow Revenue Faster by Making the Shift from Product-Driven Selling to Authentic Conversations. How can you not have an authentic uh, conversation? Hey, Winalytics, build the re revenue, revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brett and say KG sent you. Ask about the master class. Hey, we'd also like to say, hey, Aaron J and Trent S, thank you for your support. It's a real ego boost. Hey, looking, software developer, manager, 10 years experience, CPound, MSSQL, Angular, React, Azure Cloud, Ask.net, Core, also Node, jizz, Angular Web Development, email Pete at sassholes.net, recruiters, I got a hot one for you. Again, please like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Each subscribe, I'm telling you, is like a magic fairy dust that turns 30 viewers into 3,000. And if you have the means, please support us on patreon.com slash sassholes. Whether it's buying us a beer or helping us prepare you for your budget meeting, it's better we beat you up than your boss. KG. <laughs> you get to pick on me because Jamie decides that he wants to be late today or has a job, and I put that in air quotes. Yes, Pete, what, what can you torture me with today? You know what happens when it rains cats and dogs? No, what does what happens when it rains cats and dogs? You have to be careful not to step in a poodle. Leave us a <laughs> comment on our blog at sassholes.net. KG, we got any shout-outs, my friend? I just have a couple of shout outs uh, today. I want to congratulate Mitch Poppy. Uh, we worked together at ZipRecruiter before. Uh, he's uh, started a new position as affiliate marketing manager at Zovio. And then uh, I've known Adam Klein for like 15 years through the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals. He's in New York. Uh, congratulations to Adam Klein for being promoted to global, global head of sales development at Kaltura. Do you think that means he has like, one person in Canada, so now he's global. That's no, that's international. Oh, got uh, it. it. All right, uh, Jesse Graff got a new gig, director of business development at Hartwig Mechanical. Carolyn Dano Leibovitz is now a therapist. She started out in inside sales with me. Now she's she got her psychology degree and is a therapist at Eating Recovery Center. Maybe I should look you up, uh, Dano. Mike Kip, five years, Verizon Connect. Steve Whittington, seven years, founder and CEO of Life Working uh, Holdings. Uh, Emily New, five years at LinkedIn. Meg Sedjo, director of events and experiences at TAG. TAG stands for the Aspen Group. Christy Kalick, Hairlin, six years, director of business development at Tableau, or Salesforce. Kara Gold, three years at DocuSign. Mike Strong, going strong, seven years to City of Lake Forest, city manager assistant. KG, who is Ashley? How'd you find Ashley? How'd you get her to come on the show? What you, did you did you lie to her? Yes, I told her that we had more more than like two people listening uh, to the <laughs> to the show. No, you know, actually, I did some research. And I was yeah. looking for uh, top women sales leaders that were uh, that were out there, and I saw that um, Ashley is affiliated with Lori Richardson and Score More Sales, and uh, had a good has a good following on uh, on LinkedIn. And as you know, I'm a 
huge uh, proponent of women in leadership. And I thought I have to have Ashley on the on the show. So, Ashley, thanks for uh, agreeing to be, uh, you know, tortured by two uh, middle aged white men. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. And thanks for uh, tracking me down. How did you get to be where you are today, Ashley? Yeah, I love that question. I went to school in Michigan and then I traveled the world for a long time, not wanting to settle down. But once I did, I started working for a consulting firm in the leadership and development space and I was in sales. Hmm. And I was there for 20 years, loving it, had my own portfolio. You know, I think what unites many salespeople is we get to be entrepreneur, we get to do our own thing. And it was there that I learned about design thinking as a methodology, which is a human-centered approach to innovation. It's very creative. It's fun. You know, the interest is always to delight the end customer and reduce risk. So who doesn't want that? Uh Um, uh, And I met my business partner, Justin, uh, at that organization we were both looking working at and then after 20 years I thought it's time to bust out of this and start my own thing so Justin and I left and we started Somersault Innovation seven years ago to be teachers and coaches of design thinking but then realized really quickly that there was this intersection between the tools and methods of design thinking and great customer-centric sellers so we moved into the enablement space and have been teaching those in the go-to-market community ever since how to use these tools to grow revenue and be their best authentic trusted advisor self. How did you figure out that intersection? Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, you know, starting yeah. your business, you you thought you were going to be doing this, yeah. but then all of a sudden you're like, but wait a minute, we can really serve this over here. And you pivoted like every good entrepreneur does. How, what was it that you figured out? Well, because of my background in sales, as I started to get deeper into design thinking, I thought, wait a second, this is what I do selling. And why, why aren't these tools and methods in the sales space? Yeah. Um, so it was sort of that question that led us to then I had a friend who was leading a team at Salesforce of sellers. And so I sort of proposed it to him, like, what if we were to give these discovery skills to sellers? Like, what do you think? And so He really resonated as well based on his own experience as a seller and leader and said, yeah, I think there's something here. Why don't you try this? And so we did. And because it it was like magic in terms of how it really helped sellers connect to the customer in a deeper way and therefore grow revenue. We literally, it was $13 million of net new revenue that we drove through several teams at Salesforce. I mean, crazy. And it's not rocket science. It's just sort of getting out of your own sort of close. I got to need to close this customer mentality and staying open a little longer and learning much more that then, of course, opens up more opportunity and connects you more deeply to the customer. We just started running with this, you know, once we saw success and have constantly sort of iterating from there. And I think the marketplace in some ways has caught up with us. We've been lucky at the time that we started to pioneer this intersection that a lot of the big tech firms are now trying to figure this out at the top of the house. So Somersault Innovation, how'd you come up with that name? (laughs) I think we were trying to think of something that everybody could do um, that (laughs) Somersault. Wait a minute, what? (laughs) (laughs) Everybody could do a Somersault, even you. Uh, it might not look great. The car hits me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and we wanted, it's kind of like this idea of seeing the world from a different lens, right? Turning things upside down. And, you know, design, as I said, is, is playful. It's creative. And so there's a playful element to Somersault. So we took a long time figuring that out, but finally felt like that was, that was right. And, it, you know, I think another thing I am always, I'm less interested in getting something perfect and more interested in just like, do something and then Ah. change it. And so we were like, let's just put it out there and it's stuck. So unleash your creative power to increase pipeline by 100%. Does that sound familiar? Uh, I've heard of that before. How do you do that? I mean, that's, that's a bold, that's a bold statement. I mean, it sounds like here's a big word, Pete. That sounds like hyperbole. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll give you a story where it's more hype. This just happened. Uh, We just worked with a tech firm um, that you've all heard of. We worked with four account teams. One account team had a big media conglomerate as their customer. And so what we do is we give new skills and tools to the sellers or the sales team, and then we coach them in the application of the tools uh, over several months in service of obviously changing behavior, but 
most importantly, or just as importantly, growing revenue, growing relationships. Most sellers could do better at discovery. And that's where we get a lot of most. Most. So, you know, a lot of our emphasis is focused on stop selling and just really get to understand the customer. And here's some tricks and techniques to do that. And not only understand the customer, but also their customers, because that's where value is created. If I can talk to you about what your customers care about, now I'm having a different conversation with you versus, hey, look what I'm selling. I've got this great software platform. Um, so we taught them. So this just happened. This just happened uh, last six months. Um, taught them the tools, followed them for four months, coaching them. He and I just interviewed him yesterday about this. He took a, an account that was at risk, not only preserved the account, but sold a seven figure three year deal with them. $33 million that was not on the radar. And even more impressive to me, so he was 212% quota, but more impressive to me was that his client in that system said, I want to introduce you to our sales organization because they need to sell like you sell. Uh I like that was the best endorsement more than the money. So you use design thinking or design selling? What? How do you do that? What is that's pretty pretty high tech for me. Um, it's not actually, but let's pretend it is. So, well, first of all, I'll say design thinking is a methodology I put in the zone of like Six Sigma, lean, agile. It's just another methodology that companies are using to create efficiency or innovate. In this case, around creating new products and services. Mm-hmm. So what design think, and you've been the beneficiary of any design thinking process. If you've been on Virgin Airlines, if you've been in an Uber, if you have an Apple product, all the companies are looking at this methodology as a staged approach to innovating. So for example, if I was to create the next glass, let's say I have I'm a glassware company, I love to create new glasses. Uh, you, most of us would approach this by like, oh, I've got the best idea. I'm going to you know, create this blue glass and it's going to be this size or whatever. A design thinker would say, put your best idea away and I'm just going to watch Kevin and Pete drink. And I'm going to talk to them about like, when do you drink? Why do you drink? Why do you not drink? What do you love about your the glass you drink from? What do you hate about it? And like study you and get really deep in understanding who you are and your mm. habits. And mm. then using those insights to start to create, you know, what I want to come to market with. So it's, so a, does that mean, does that mean chair side? That means yes. Like sit next to you and say, let me show, show me what you do so I can understand what you do before I start to tell you about how I can change your life. So it's, you know, it's very simple. It's just being customer centric. So that's what we're teaching sellers. If we can give them these methodologies, like a chair side, which is literally, can I sit next to you either virtually or face to face and understand, can you walk me through what you do? That's a technique, right? That keeps me customer centric versus let me do a demo. Hmm. Um, So that's what we're teaching them, how to use these techniques so that they can build relationship and learn more information that will help them. Is there like a screen share or what technology do you use if you do it virtually? Just Zoom. So let's say I was selling a CRM, right? And so I'm talking to you and I talk to you about your forecasting. Instead of me just talking to you about it, a better way for me to get information and connect with you is to say, hey, can you just show me what you do right now? And what I might learn, for example, Mm -hmm. I mean, how many people out there use an Excel spreadsheet versus their CRM? Because Mm. (laughs) right? So X reps. Exactly. So you might say like, you might say, well, yeah, I forecast. And I, if we had a conversation about it, I might never get to the fact that you actually use an Excel spreadsheet. Whereas if I say, can you show me, and this is a bad example, because you're probably not showing me your numbers, but let's just say you were, yeah. you know, show me what you use and you pull up your screen. Then all of a sudden I get all this detail that you might not have thought to ask you know, tell me, and we can get into a conversation. I can say, well, why are you using this? And can you tell me how you use this? And Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Some of my clients actually have a level of embarrassment about their current status. Have you you ever dealt with that before, Ashley? Like my, some of my customers, like, I'm going to show you, but it's sort of like, let's not look under the covers here. Do you you ever see that with some of your customers and your customers' customers, where they're actually kind of embarrassed about their current state? Hmm. 
that I come across that so often. I think, um, you know, I try to really build a strong relationship and be authentically curious and sort of just genuine so that people feel yeah. comfortable then saying like, uh, this isn't, you know, I need help with this. So yeah. you don't want to call their baby ugly. Yeah. And I, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Do you think it's it? Do you think it's intimidating when I just have this <laughs> sitting there and they're like, hey, can you show me your current stuff? I'm kind of a big deal. You know, no, I'm kidding. It, so it actually leads to this authentic conversation where you can be like, wait, what's what's that? And why do you do that? That's as opposed to a list of scripted, you know, questions. I, I have a client right now. Um, they're in the test prep space. And um, they onboarded three new salespeople mm -hmm. and they've got their list of discovery questions. And they're like, gosh, you know, my, they, they're asking the questions, but they're really more like checking the boxes to get through it. They don't know why there's no good intonation in it and they're not extracting. And as a result, they're not really extracting good information out of that. Does that sound familiar? Well, obviously, for sure. And they're not connecting. Like, I love what you started this. You asked me about, you know, Somersault, how I, who, who I was, but then you said, well, that's interesting. Like, how did you, how did you actually put those things together? Sales and design, which I don't know if that was pre, you know, in your head before, but you, it's because you picked up on what I said, which is the natural way we engage, right. Is to stay curious and, and connected. And that's, um, you know, for some and there are many reasons, but I guess we've driven that out of a lot of salespeople. So it's in some way freeing them to like be their best selves. And people yeah, will you, literally tell you everything. People want to share. Huh. Yeah, but these kids that are coming in, first of all, they're going into sales. and They didn't plan to go into sales. They had to because they couldn't get anything in their major. So once they're in sales, they've had this structured life, Yeah, you know, since they were for we ones. And they come into their first sales position and they want the structure, yet they don't want to follow a, a script. They hear script and they think, robot, oh, you're telling me what to say, but you won't do any homework on your own. And they don't have the business acumen or sense to even balance their checkbook because they don't know what a checkbook is. <laughs> What's what is? How do you teach that for somebody that, they come in and they bang the phones for, let's say, 12 months, maybe 18 to be a BDR, and then they have to get to the next level. Like, I would imagine that's who you would be speaking with and you're sitting next to them. What what are you what's the first thing that you're noticing about them that you have to teach them? Yeah. Kevin, were you going to say something before? Well, I was just going to say as, as a, a summary, really, of what Pete said we had a guest that came on the show a couple of weeks ago who basically said that when I hire for salespeople and SDRs, I'm looking for innate curiosity because you can't teach curiosity. So now I want, now I want to turn it and, and based on all the things that you're talking about, can you teach that curiosity? Can you teach, you know, here's the questions, but can you teach that ability? Like what Pete's talking about, like there's a script, but how do you yeah. have this innate curiosity to go deeper? Can you teach yeah. that? I think you can. We get that question all the time. I think you can help people get better and practice building their muscle at curiosity. And again, this is why design is so helpful. So designers, like one of the underpinning mindsets is curiosity. And so they have all these techniques to extract more information in, through curiosity. So one of the techniques, and this is what we teach sellers, is when you're in a conversation or you're on a website or engaged with others, pay attention to four things. And if you hear any of these four things, they show up, dig in and get more information. They're like a Love portal, it. like Love open it. door. So here are the four things. Something that surprises you, right? You say an acronym and I haven't heard of it. Instead of just blowing by, which we often do, say, you know, um, Kevin, I actually, I don't know what that means. Can you tell me more? What, what does that stand for? Or you say, you know, something about uh, something that's really surprising I hadn't thought of. Again, instead of me just jumping into the next question, stay in it and say, that's surprising, tell me more. Hmm. So that's one. Um, and these are all just very simple, but it just helps you trigger your brain to stay in the conversation and ask questions. Um, inconsistencies, you know, this is super important to us, but we don't have any budget. Hmm, that's interesting, right? Hmm. So tell me more about that. Um, what, are, what do you plan to do then? 
So inconsistencies, hacks or workarounds. I have a CRM, but I use an Excel spreadsheet. Wow, that's interesting. You know, tell me why doesn't the CRM work for you, right? A hack or workaround is, is something we do to get around a system. As a seller, I wanna know exactly why you did that. Um, and the last thing, and most importantly, is what do people care about? If you see high emotion, like I love this, or this is so frustrating, you wanna know exactly why they love it or why it's so frustrating. I just read something the other day that said 95% of our decision-making and behavior is based on emotions, not love. Sure, right? sure. We know that, we're human beings. So you wanna know what people care about. So we teach people those prompts and help them. They may still have a question that it's you know, on their sheet, but then in the dialogue, pay attention to that and use that as a way to go deeper. I, I love that. Like Pete, that represents sort of like this, there's a script, but then there's this like side script over here that like, hey, if you hear, you know, breaking, you know, break glass in case of emergency, if you yeah. hear any of these four things, yeah. now, now do, you know, do this, yeah. you know? And- it is, I, you know, I do think that, um, P, one of the things you were saying is like, you know, they're not used to going off script is like, tell me what to yeah. do and I'll do it. And it is, there is a practice of uh, getting more used to just a free flowing conversation in the sales space, because I think the fear is one, I've, you know, got a short amount of time. If I'm an SDR or BDR, I need to get you to say yes to the next meeting. Um, and I don't know what you're going to say. So I kind of want to keep you to the script because what if you say something and I don't have an answer to it, yeah. but you know, for all of us. So, so have, role, role play is key. Well, I think, yes, role playing is key. And, and just remembering like your own experience as a human being is you'd rather connect to someone who was real and connected to you versus reading off a script, right? Anytime a, you know, a cold call comes in and they're reading off a script, you're like, Hey, Hey, it's me. Like, if you want to talk to me, you got to talk to me. Um, so, you uh, you're, you, so the trainings that you, like, how long are the sessions or, or the engage? Is that the right word? Engagements? Like how long, how, how, how long are the engagements program? Yeah. Our cell by, cell by design program is one full day face to face or, you know, cut up virtually and to eight hours. And then we coach sellers one-on-one -on -one or teams across the next two to three months. Um, you, we, we also have an online program um, coming out that will be two hours in seat more or less. Do you coach the leaders too? Because yeah, you know that you want to get a re-engagement and if you don't have the sales manager, director, vice president on board with you, it's like, all right, I just need, you know, one day uh the the budget's probably not going to kill them they really don't care they just want to show that they're in, get passionate about helping your team and then you leave and then nothing happens and then how do you get back in there how does that work yeah we invite and sort of insist that the managers and leaders join us in the education and then we have like we'll we'll coach a bunch of sellers and then we have a follow-up call with the rvp let's say and say here's what we're learning here's how you can be helpful uh, what questions do you have and keep keep that process up oh the rvp how can an rvp be helpful that's sort of like a uh oxymoron <laughs> why is that an oxymoron <laughs> an rvp there well first of all let's see if we got a a, a riff coming <laughs> that's the first one to go yeah how can they be helpful yeah so well one of the things we always say to Lisa is stop leading with tell me about your number. Like, where are you, Kevin? And getting to your number. Like you said, you're going to get me 50,000 by the end of the week. Where are you? Like all that drives is more of this closing energy. I'll sell you anything because I got to get my number versus like, tell me what you learned about your customer. Tell me a story about your mm -hmm. customer. So reorienting the questioning. So it's pushing this new behavior, you know, then we'll teach certain techniques. So, you know, let's say the show me simple, right? Yeah. So talk to your people. Like, are they doing that? Have they done it? What did they learn? That kind of thing. That closing issue that you talked about, is that usually in younger organizations where you don't have a process in place and everybody's just scrambling or do you see that at the... I think I see it across the board. Across the I mean, board, okay. I think it's really interesting in sales and why this has been so successful because it's nothing that I'm saying is, you know, to use the old term rocket science, right? This is just good behavior. But I think, I mean, the pressure of sales is so real 
yeah. right? Number one, they're getting paid. We're getting paid good money to close. Like money corrupts your brain, right? So that orientation, the pressure, and then you've got managers, Wall Street, whomever, re, yeah. you know, putting down your back really does distort our ability to be really confident in our sales process and more likely close down on a smaller deal than stay open for the bigger deal. With the advent of product-led growth, um, many founders out there are enamored with their own product and they're driving just to simply get demos, show them our shit, they're going to love it and buy it. And, and yet there's this lack of lack of conversation. And, and so, you know, I love that you focused on the discovery. I'm telling you what, we could just put that on repeat, huh, Pete? Like, if you just repeat discovery, 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 that comes up on every, every episode. And, uh, you know, Ashley, there's a lot of courses out there on sales discovery that are by lots and lots of companies and big and small Tell us about your new online discovery uh, course you're building, and, and and frankly, what makes it different, and what's what's it a you know why is it a must have for yeah. uh, for our our listeners? Yeah, I'm so excited about this. We're just building this, and we're getting in the studio in Vegas in a couple of weeks. Um, well, so what is it? It's um, focused on the discovery space, and then a bit on insights. So, how do you take your discovery and then turn it into an insightful point of view? So that's the sort of the content. We, um, it's three pieces, discovery strategy, discovery mindset and tools, and then insight generation and followed by an action plan. It's all, um, it's Justin and I on video teaching, but then my favorite part is we have sellers like the one I just told you about uh, with the $3 million deal. Also that we are interviewing and who we've worked with who are on screen like this saying, here's what I did. Let me tell you about it. Because that's more compelling than Justin and I, right? People want to hear from their peers. Like, what did you do? So it's interspersed with these different videos of different sellers talking about how they've used it. Um, and then we have a couple group dialogues of three sellers from three different organizations talking about it. Um, I think it's also like tons of like really practical, applicable content with worksheets. So like, just do this now. So you're asked to come into the course with your account just like we do when we're face-to-face -face, and use these tools along the way to help you grow your account. And it's really different. Um, it's different than I think most discovery courses. It's, it's much more about these different techniques to sort of differentiate you in the eyes of your customer and uncover more opportunity. Ashley's got a pretty cool book. Uh, I'm intrigued, Naked Sales. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could you could you go could you go to the middle of the book, please? Come on, keep keep yourself together, will you, please? Twenty twenty one, you got to be careful. <laughs> Actually, no, I don't. <laughs> That's why I do a podcast. <laughs> what is naked sales? Yeah, what is naked sales? Okay, uh, well, naked sales is all the things we talked about, all these tools and techniques, lots of stories from our work at Salesforce. So, real sellers, what did they do? What did they learn? Um, it's short, which as a seller myself, I was like, don't make this long, make this easy to read. <laughs> so it's a one flight read. Um, yeah. And the reason we chose that word is naked is um, like to, you know, honestly, to create more vulnerability in sellers, like it's okay to be yourself in how you sell, like strip away all this stuff around, you know, closing or what I, the number I need to make or what I need to say mm. and be authentic self. Um, and you know, goodness will follow. So you're saying a rep is going to call up a client and say, hi, I am brand new. I don't know anything and I have to get to a quota. Can you help me? I think that would be actually much more successful than many approaches. Yeah. yeah. I, I was, there was a, I commented on a LinkedIn post this morning about how, um, a, um, leader of customer success, mm -hmm. okay, so not sales per se, but customer success renewals was teaching their customer success reps on how to do discovery. Yeah. And, uh, and which I thought was absolutely fantastic. And yeah. his, his observation was that many of these customer success reps were saying, I just don't want to be salesy. Yeah with the negative connotation that went along with that. And I yeah. thought, wow, you know, why, when but, is that like connection between like 
asking questions and learning more about your customer going to be disconnected from this negative connotation yeah. of a, of a pushy used car sales salesperson. And, and so it, that's, I'm thinking about you saying naked sales, you know, how do we teach these customer success people as an example to be, you know, comfortable in their own skin uh, and vulnerable to be able to ask the, these types of questions, right? It's, there was this negative connotation about asking questions, which I, which I, I it made my stomach kind of turn. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I think um, I hear that too. And, you know, we're all, I mean, that, that mindset has been around for a long time, right? Of the negative sales, like Dan Pink, right? He did that whole thing on all the words that people think of when they think of sellers. <laughs> Um, and I think just like anything, it's not black and white, you know, there's so many ranges of sellers out there and what people sell. And I do think that the SDRs and the BDRs have the hardest job and more likely to fall into that because they have so little time and they have to make a hundred calls or whatever it is that it, again, it forces, I think, into this mindset a little bit of like, I can't just be natural and say, I don't really even have time to look up who I'm talking to, but Hey, can we just chat? Do you have 10 minutes for me? And I'll Mm. tell you what I'm all about. Can you tell me about what you do? So I, you know, I do think it's up to us to change the reputation. It's up to us as sellers to, to be thoughtful in how we sell. And, and I do think, you know, the other reason why I love design is the other mindset that's central to the whole thing is customer centeredness customer centricity like i if i don't if what i'm selling doesn't provide any value to you then there's no use selling it like we want to be on the same side of the table and if we can be on the same side of the table and figure this out your fingerprints are going to be on it and then you're going to want it more ashley if marketing were any good wouldn't it be a lot easier for these sales reps just to pick up the phone and take the inbound and just close them if marketing and sales ops were worth anything? Well, it sounds like you think that. Um, uh, Can you pick that up? Um, you know, I don't know. Like, again, I wouldn't do such a broad brush to say that all marketing. Well, it's, it, it could be a strategy. Like, here's a strategy. Pay the reps nothing. Grind them out. Pay a lot for recruiting. Pay a lot for sales trading. Churn them, you know, churn them, throw them against the wall, see if they stick. Yeah. That, that's a strategy. Or make it really easy for them to sell, have a good good number, and uh, get the really good leads coming in, spend a lot on marketing. Yeah. And th- but if you do that, then you don't pay the reps anything because you spend it all on marketing. What's the right uh, formula, you think? I don't know. I don't have the right formula. But what I do know is that they need to be more aligned. I, you know, it's a couple of places I've seen that I appreciate is sales and marketing report into the same leader versus mm-hmm. two separate functions, which I think is smart. I think this notion of, you know, it's very hard to disagree with the customer. So putting the customer and what the customer cares about as the central narrative that drives both sales and marketing, I think is also important. So we're always trying to bring the voice of the customer in in any kind of facilitation we do, any kind of training, so that it becomes this anchor for whomever's there, because it's really hard to disagree with them. So when marketing's there pushing all their product material, if they do, if you have the customer voice in there that says like, do not talk to me about one more, you know, new product that you've released, I don't care, is helpful. You're talking about a chief revenue officer. Do you deal with a lot of those uh, in in your business? What, Often there are buyers. Yeah, what where did that come from? Chief revenue I'm officer? Sure. I don't know. <laughs> somebody that wanted to get a raise, get you know. Yeah. So so that's the the one person that's responsible for for everything. If you got a really good product, let's just take Zoom two years ago, yeah. right? What what kind of a sales team do you need? What, what kind of sales job. yeah, right? What kind of sales training do you need? Yeah, well, the product is so good or it's not good, but you can build up demand, putting all the money in marketing and not anything in the reps. I'm just I'm just trying to figure out if you're dealing with the chief revenue officer out there, what are some of you know, how do they go to market on things? Do they they give you the money? They use you as a third party voice because no, they're not listening to the chief revenue officer because you run into that little sticky wicket where. Oh man, I got to bring a third party in here. Uh, I'm, I'm supposed to be ex, the expert. Why am I bringing a consultant in? 
Mm. So you're, are you identifying the problem of how does the CRO make the choice of bringing in enablement like this? Um, uh, if you're doing business with the CRO, they have to have a strategy in place. And I'm trying to figure out what their strategy is to bring bring you in there because it has to be somebody that's pretty confident that says, you know what, I have taught everything that I know and I'm confident in my abilities that I'm not worried about getting canned, even though a CRO only lasts 18 months. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that out there, yeah. you know, to bring you in. Yeah, well, I'll just, I mean, the last CRO we just worked with, um, who we continue to work with, he was new to the organization. He brought us in because he really wanted to differentiate how his sales team was selling Mm. and how his whole organization. So he wanted to change the culture of sales and sort of brand them in a differentiated way against their competitors. So, you know, he believes in enablement. Enablement's a big deal now. There's, you know, it's a whole new field, right? And so um, I think he was, felt that he needed to invest in new behaviors, new learning. I think the the bigger problem I see is that the sales are just, salespeople are inundated, right? With so much, yeah. like you were saying, marketing knowledge, new products and service, get up to speed on the tech, you know, how to sell differently, how to forecast. It's a matter of having to figure out what is really the priority and get rid of the rest. And I, it is, a, I was just saying this yesterday, like here we drove, we, we literally drive millions and millions of dollars in most situations. And then they'll be like, okay, well, we don't have time for this. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I just gave you $3 million you didn't see and you don't have time for this. But so I'm like, I'm asking the wrong question because I, I don't understand. I think that could be from the reps, that could be the leaders where they don't under, understand the value of what they have, or they don't believe in the, what the value is of what they have, because that's where reps, you know, they, they don't have any confidence because they, they're thinking with their pocket and not the, you know, the client's pocket. Hey, I'm going to take 10,000 from you, but I'm going to give you in return 100 grand. They don't, to me, that's the one number one thing that they got to get and they don't understand. Do you teach that or who teaches that? And what is sales enablement? I'll hang up and listen for my answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is sales enablement? It's just learning and development for sales. I think, you know, learning and development. That's the training team? Yeah. I okay. think, you know, I think sales decided that we're so important. We need a different division to service us. So <laughs> we'll call this sales enablement. Okay. Um, you know, and then, and what's smart about it is these people specialize in just thinking about how to enable sellers. Yeah. For market professionals. Well, who enables them to understand the value of what they're the exchange? So I think that's the number one thing. Do you teach that or these enablement like if are you, talking, gets, are you talking about like when you're selling to a customer and my product costs a hundred thousand dollars, but I'm solving a three million dollar problem? Is that what you're saying? Or are you yeah, talking about, yeah, are you yeah, talking about ash? you know, you know, enablement professionals like Ashley selling to their customers. Who teaches it? And if and if it's Ashley, how do you teach that to these kids, you know, yeah. coming in so they when they don't have they it? truly understand ROI is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a new role that I mean, this isn't quite answer your question yet, but yeah. there is a new role that we're seeing in a lot of organizations, not a lot, but some are around it's called business value managers. I don't know if you've heard that term. Microsoft. Whoa, heard it here first. Another acronym. Love All it. Right business no. value managers or you know some variation on that really who are a team of people who do the analytics so well, we worked with a bunch of them who will say to the sellers like stop talking about the ROI because you don't really know and then you end up over promising and we got to come in and clean up this mess <laughs> so, right so the business value managers are highly skilled people who can do the data analytics on if we sell you this platform I mean, think Microsoft, we're going to change your supply chain. What's the return on this? And the higher up, you know, the more strategic the work, the bigger the deal. That's, yeah. that's a big piece of work. It's not to be undervalued. And it is, and customers are more and more savvy, of course, around like, you better not only talk to me about the value, but show me how I'm getting there before I'm, you know, paying you $126 million every year. Well, the customers have their script down better than the reps do. So, I mean, they know how to play the game. So getting back to this business value manager, is that like the sales engineer or what? 
No, who, I mean, no, it's not the solution engineer. It's not the technical person. Um, it's mm. someone who you, you know, let's the, the, um, let's take Microsoft, you know, they're brought in on the big, big deals, right. To do the value analysis around what's this going to look like if we roll this out, what's it going to take, what's going to cost and what's it going to save the organization over what time period in smaller organizations like sales loft, you know, the deals might not, are not the same scale. But it might be a hundred thousand dollar deal. Um, if it's warrants, if it's like a big enough deal, it warrants that level of analysis. They will bring in literally the individual who has that title to do the work, and it's a pre-sales motion. So, hmm. so there, it's like a deal desk. They have to sign off on it. Uh, you mean sign off on getting a value manager to work with them? Well, I'm just saying that whatever the deal is, the proposal, it's got a deal desk where they say, okay, yeah, the, the, the value prop is there. Everything's checked off. I agree this can go through. Yeah, well, it's, you mean the value manager would check that off and say yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's They would sit at the deal desk with the CRO. If a deal is over a certain amount, I mean, you know, you got to have all these approvals and whatnot. That, yeah, I okay. would say it's, it's you know, certainly it comes at the end there, but it's brought in at the beginning to say, let me bring in my colleague who, and we together can really figure out the value of this to your organization. The, the problem is the scarcity of the number of people on staff to do this kind of work. Um, you know, if I'm a seller, I want someone doing that for me, assuming it's positive value. That has business sense. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. I want to bring Ashley in. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> so, so what is the number one thing that you teach when you go in, or what do you sing that they're going on Google like five minutes before the call, and that's their homework, if at all? Um, I well, it depends on who I'm teaching. So, who, yeah. who am I teaching? Like inside sellers, account executives. Uh, they just got it to be account executive. All they know is how to burn calls. Now they have to figure out, you know, the value. What do you teach them? Yeah, well, we teach them a lot of different things. But one thing we teach them, I'll tell you, the people really value is this idea that, Kevin, you said earlier, like the customer's customer, right? So we will teach them, you you have to decide, you seller have to decide how much time do I have to invest in my discovery? It may be that this is a big deal, big opportunity, and therefore I'm going to you know, put several hours into this. Or I'm just calling and I, I don't have a lot of time. Um, one of the things we get them to start thinking about is who are your customers' customers? So uh, if you take, let's say, Ocean Spray, if you go right down to the bottom and say, who are their customers? There's a whole different sets, right? There's the individual like you and me who might buy cranberry juice. There are restaurants and in particular bartenders who want Ocean Spray. There are big box retailers who uh, you know, order uh, this so that they can sell it to their consumers, et cetera. So if I just start thinking about that, that can sort of change my questions, right? I can start, instead of talking to you about my platform, I might start with like, tell me about the customer set that's really most important to you right now, or where you're trying to grow the greatest margin or, you know, something I, if I can start having that conversation with you, that totally changes the game, uh, you know, versus tell me about your CRM. Uh, and people always want to talk about their customers, right? That's who they care about. So, so that's one thing we'll teach people, like quickly try to figure that out and then sort of orient your questions or any research you do around those customer sets. You know, of course, you're going to be oriented towards where you can help, you know, based on what you're selling. But so I was poking around your book a little bit. This is, per, this is the right time, I think, to ask the question. What, what are some tools to uncover uh, more insights about your clients and pro, uh, prospects? Mm hmm. Well, that's one of them. Um, so um, people will also say like, okay, well, what do I, so what, I've got my customer. Now I understand my customer's customer. What do I do? Okay. So there's all sorts of things, again, depending on time. So if your customer is a, you know, a, a B2C retailer, let's say, then that's, easy. let's say my customer is Target. Mm -hmm. uh, if I was talking to an executive at Target, you better believe the first thing I'm doing is going down to the Target that's a mile from here and walking around that store, getting a sense of like, what's in here, talking to an employee, talking to a manager, like just getting a sense, hmm. like that goes a long way. So if I get on the phone and say, oh, I was just at, you know, the Framingham Target. And one of the things I noticed is there seems to be a big emphasis on baby clothes. Like, tell me more about that. 
um, or I got to know someone, I got to know Jeannie and she told me X, Y, Z. So um, that's like being your customer's customer. If you can do that, it's a game changer. Hmm. So that, that, you know, let's say your customer is uh, PWC, right? It's gonna be hard for you just to show up and be a customer. Um, yeah. So I would get online and I'd look at customer sat reports. I'd look at, you huh. know, what are people saying about, what are customers saying about PWC versus Accenture versus others? Um, and I try to find interesting information about them. Glassdoor is a great place to look. Mm -hmm. uh, it speaks to trends that are happening in an organization often. Um, you know, there's so much information online. So instead mm -hmm. of the usual suspects of the 10K, the annual report, LinkedIn, like look at customer sat reports, look at, at um, Glassdoor and so many others. Ashley, how do you give the content to the to the people that are sitting in front of you? Like, how long do they pay attention? And do you use video? Like, how do you do it? Because like 15 years ago, this isn't 15 years ago, right? Do, is everybody turning their phones, at, you know, in a bucket at the desk? Or how, how does it how does it go? Yeah, I have not tried to do that yet, although I'd like to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, well, one, it's really action oriented. So you know, it's all about, let's learn a tool. Let's talk about it. Now let's do it. Create your action plan or look, you know, turn to your partner and pick one of your accounts and start building out your discovery strategy. And then we're going to share it. So it's very, very interactive. Um, we used to actually in the early days, we used to send people out of the, into the city and give them a discovery exercise. Right. And actually when COVID came, then we changed, of course, we were all virtual and that stopped. Yeah. Now I'm trying to think about, do we do that again? Because people loved it. As you can imagine, they were no longer sitting in the classroom. They were out and about. You'd send the students out? Yeah. Like, what, to like send them to a target or something? Yeah, exactly. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, all tavern. The they loved field trip. it. Back here. Yeah. And we'd put them in pairs and we'd each, each of them would have a different location they had to go. And here's, here's the discovery techniques they had to use. And then they would come back. Yeah, it was great. And, um, you know, it's all about like, where do you spend your time? What's the highest value? So it was a high value in terms of experience. But the question is always like, could we have taught more? Because it takes a while for them to go out. It takes a while to figure out where everybody's going to go, et cetera. And, <laughs> right. You know, what do they need to learn depending on what level they are? On a one-day training, too. Yeah. Like, where the hell did my reps go? Exactly. They're all hammered. They're all at the mall. <laughs> yeah. They all want to break into the Ocean Spray account, so they're going to talk to bartenders. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what we would have them do, actually. Don't don't drink, but go talk to the bartender and ask them what they care about when they're ordering cranberry juice. You're going to yep, order yep. so much. And salespeople follow instructions to a T always. Yeah, right. <laughs> Unless it's a CRM. Yeah, right. All right. What, what are some three simple ways to make our sales stories oh, yeah. powerful? Okay. Easy. Okay. First one is make it specific, not general. Give me details. Like she, her background was, you know, raw wood with a poster, you know, and a plant. It was mm -hmm. the plant was green. It was a spider plant. That's much more memorable spider plant than plant. Um, so give me details, make it character driven. Ashley, she lives outside of Boston. She's got two girls who are 19 and 21. That's memorable. Mm -hmm. And lastly, include emotion, right? She, you know, she was really excited about X, Y, Z because um, that's memorable. So different than a use case that was just generic, yeah. company, right? Give me a character, make her real, give me details and include some emotion. I love that. Can you teach that and script that? In other words, if it's not your story, yeah. can you, can it's like, you know, I, yeah. Ashley's not my customer, but I can yeah. tell the story as if it is. Yeah, we always do that. So the thing we encourage, like if it's not your customer and you don't know Ashley, talk to the person who does. Right. So Kevin, you've met Ashley. Tell me, uh, tell me about her. Give me some details so that I can then feel like I know her and I can repeat this. Ashley, we ran out of time. Oh. <laughs> so much more to teach. Oh my God. That was great. Hey, Ashley, thanks for coming on the show. What's the best way for our uh, watchers to learn more about you or connect with you? 
Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn very easily. Ashley Welch, Somersault Innovation. Um, and you can find us on our website, somersaultinnovation.com. And you can find my number and email there and um, all sorts of case studies and things to read about. What's your ideal customer profile? Who can we send your way, Ashley? Uh, our ideal customer profile is strategic enterprise sales teams with a CRO who's trying to switch things up and gain more revenue. Who just left their last gig after 18 months instead of the new one <laughs> and want to call you in and change all the sales force views. And on behalf of Jamie, Justin, KG, myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. If you like what you heard today, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'm just telling you, the algorithms really love it when you hit that little bell and subscribe. It'll take 30 people from learning about SaaS to 3,000. We'd like to say thanks to our Patreon supporter for supporting our content. It's a real ego boost. Please give us five stars on the Apple Podcast. KG, you know anything about Brent Keltner? He's got a master class. I've heard it's a masterful master class. <laughs> I'll tell you, if you got a challenge for training and enablement stuck in the old product-driven model, the, the even bigger challenge is changing the product-driven mindset. Your solution is... Brent Keltner's Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass with sales and marketing expert Brent Keltner. It's a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. We'd also like to thank Aaron J. and Trent S. Hey, let's not forget about Iron Man. A lot key account growth with Demand Farm Smart Software to bring account planning and relationship intelligence into your CRM, making key account management practice data-driven, predictable, and scalable. Request a demo now at demandfarm.com. Ask for Ironman. Hey, recruiters, you're looking for a, uh, a good software manager? We got a good one here. 10 years. I don't know what these acronyms are, but there's a no in there. Check it out. Email Pete at sassholes.net if you're interested. All right, guys, thank you for listening. Cue the non-copyrighted music.